one band is replaced by another. This time without musical instruments. Wasn't that worship wonderful? Aren't we blessed as a church? I know that, that Ian believes so, and I, it's, it's so blessed by having such, such people that can lead us to God's throne of grace. Yeah. And thank you, Ian, for the opportunity of just sharing a few words. You see that I have a, a group of friends with me because uh, prison ministry has, has grown and developed. There's lots of different aspects to it. Um, most of our, our work is involved in Chelmsford Prison, which is uh, used to be young offenders. It's no longer. It's a, a remand and resettlement prison. That means you take men at the beginning and the end of their of their sentences. There's 750 men in the prison, spread over uh, six wings, with a wing for vulnerable prisoners, those that are kept apart for their own safety. And uh, it is just an amazing, amazing, amazing um, open door of opportunity. And I'm just going to invite my friends just to share a little bit of, of their part of this ministry, and I'm just going to mop up at the at the end and uh, hopefully what we say will be I didn't mean that enough please, please no, no. but uh, this isn't the sum total of the team, there's a lot more and uh, there are people that just pray for us, there's people that give us biscuits um, which you may not think is a much of a ministry but if you, as Carol will tell in a moment about living with loss um, the course we run they're ravenous when it comes to biscuits, and like they're vultures, and uh, uh, they they really do get a sugar high at the end of it. But that's part of the, the ministry. Um, so I'm going to invite with Adrian first, then Joy, then Irene, and uh, then Carol, just to, to pre- present a little bit. And if if you could pick up the bits that you need to pray for, because there's going to be no acetate at the end, that's fine. Well, I was wondering what I could share about our prison ministry with you. Um, Andrea and I were talking yesterday, and it's, it's rather stark when you go into the prison. You know, you're not supposed to take anything with you apart from identification. And you uh, sort of <clears throat> present your ID and you get your visitor's badge. Then you have to go through a sort of a double set of sliding glass doors that sort of allow you in, close behind you, and then the next one opens and you go through. And it's all rather stark, really, uh, when you go in. It's, uh, it's very sort of plain, quite sort of concrete. You imagine it's a prison, you know, no surprise. There are, a f- as, we, as you walk to the chapel itself, there are a few flowers, uh, a little bit of colour, but really not very much at all. It's, it is quite stark. Um, but once you go into the sort of the, the chaplaincy itself, um, there is a sort of a sense of calm. Um, and... We probably have about sort of 50 prisoners every week who, or when we go who, who join us for, for worship. And I'm always um, sort of struck by, you know, probably I would say a th- two-thirds of them really want to be there, I would say. Um, that's the feel I get. You know, they, they, you know, many of them come with rosary beads or crosses or uh, whatever, uh, sort of visible signs of, you know, of their belief. Um, and probably, my guess would be, about a third of them probably just want to get out of their prison cell for an hour and a half or an hour, whatever it is. But that's, that's okay too, you know. That's great because who knows what people are taking in, what they're listening to, and the fact they come at all is, is wonderful. 
Um, and, and often I'm just struck by um, the fact that when we're in there, you know, it really, it, everything gets stripped away. It's almost a, a purer form of worship, if you like. It's, um, you know, here we all come from different places. We all have our jobs. We're busy. We sort of come to church. It's a rush. But when we go to prison, I always feel like everybody's just kind of, everything's fairly stripped away, and we're only there, you know, obviously they can't escape, you know, but, um, but it's, so they're there because they either, you know, they want to, for some reason, they want to be in that room. And, um, you know, and our worship is, it's good worship. You know, I really personally enjoy going. It's, uh, it's not a hardship at all. You know, it sounds somehow we're going to prison and it's really quite hard. It's not. It's, it's great. And um, so, yeah, that's really all what I wanted to share. I mean, I was reading some, um, I, I support Prison Fellowship International, which was an international organization that was started by Chuck Colson, who some of you may know, and um, he was um, like the sort of the lynchman for Richard Nixon and got imprisoned for perjury and, and became a Christian and then started Prison Fellowship International. And um, so I was reading some material that came from them the other day, and um, there was a, a lady who'd um, ended up going to prison, but essentially she'd lived a normal life with her parents, she'd, uh, but her parents had died very quickly one after another, and she'd... Um, struggled to pay the mortgage, ended up being homeless, got into trouble, and went to prison. And so, you know, really, I think the, the dividing line between us here with our jobs and our comfortable lives and those people in prison, sometimes it's a very thin dividing line. And really, it's only by the grace of God that we're here and they're there. So I just wanted to share that this evening. Thank you. Oh, dear. Adrian's just said a lot of what I was going to say. But there you go. I wish I'd have gone first. <laughs> Actually, when I go there, I feel like a bit of a mother hen because I look on those men there and some of them are just the same age as my sons and my heart goes out to them. I, I, I just feel I want to gather them up and bring them home with me. I realise that wouldn't be wise, but I do feel like that. But the funny thing is, I went there because I felt that um, they really needed to be blessed. But you know what? I am blessed. When I go there, I am really blessed. You see their eyes looking at you, and they hang on every single word you say, particularly what Ian says, because they are hungry to hear something. Maybe not necessarily the word of God, but they are hungry, and uh, they do hang on the words. And the wonderful thing that I enjoyed the last time I went, we were singing the songs and uh, we all liked to go out and um, sit with the men in the, you know, in the chapel and uh, we share books with them. And I was singing with this, this guy and uh, he's holding out the book and singing at the top of his voice and it was really lovely, he was enjoying it. And then when we got to the last verse, they didn't play it. Time was running out. And he looked at me and he went, oh, he said, that's my favourite verse. <laughs> and I felt really moved by it because he was so enjoying it and I knew that he wanted to hear a bit more. And so it just shows you that how much they do want to hear. And then at the end, you know, Irene obviously will tell you what she does, but they come out for prayer and they want to ask questions and that is the wonderful part as well, because we're, we are able to pray with them, you know, ask them what they would like. And you see tears in their eyes. You see 
these deep emotions that are in them because they are incarcerated. And what did Jesus say? He said, visit those in prison. He said, even empathise with them and think that you could be in there with them, you know? And so I think it's important that we do this ministry. I might be an old lady, but it's wonderful to think that God can still use me in these ways. And it really, really is wonderful. And I thank God for this blessing, because it blesses me. Um, I just want to introduce you to uh, CPR. It's Christian Prisoners Resources Ministry, um, which is a ministry working with prison chaplains to bring the gospel into the prisons. And they've got a real heart for the prisoners. And um, one of the ways that they do this is through in-cell, multi-choice Bible studies. And this is how I got involved, because I responded to a, a volunteers for markers, not really knowing anything about it, thinking, oh, I'm not really sure about all this. I've got a couple of hours a week, maybe that'll do. Um, and it has just so been amazing. Um, we, we've got a lovely team, um, and sitting there. She's a marker as well. And... Um, what start they they've they do several bible studies and it's done through the chaplaincy because it's got to be somehow unless these bibles unless someone gives them a bible study they're not going to study so we find that i think the harvest is huge but the laborers are few and when we've had the mark we get feast or famine with marking papers i think we thought we'd get a a, a steady stream and one minute we might not get anything for six weeks, and then we get absolutely inundated. And we were noticing um, that many of the um, papers that were coming through were like three months old. And when you're trying to encourage people, if you're going to do a Bible study or if you're going to do anything, uh, you want it marked and you want it back. And particularly Anne and I, um, James, he moved on. He's still going to be doing it. We've actually recruited a few more people. Um, but we've spoken with CPR to try to sort out how we can get this flow of marking better. And um, we're now getting um, papers sent direct by Ian from some of the prisons. But the way it really works best is, as I've said, unless the the chaplains do it or the bible study or people go in and show them what is done they could do then then that's not going to happen but when i think i mean we're so blessed aren't we and we we just what i think we thought is not when you they this is a typical they start off with this it's like an introduction it's called mark time it's based on st mark's gospel it's multi-choice. It's aimed, I think, at introducing Jesus. And then they have several, if they mark, we mark those, we, we, we have to have a pseudonym. We can't be who we are because it's got to be non-gender because of relationships. But it's extraordinary because I have to um, make a record of every mark, everything we mark, whether it's for Anne or anyone, because we sort of do it centrally. 
And I remember when I first went to the prison in November, which was the first time last year, um, and we were giving out these and introducing it, and we had queues coming up. And then this dear man came up the end and he said to me, and they'd all gone, and they wanting to get him out, basically. And he said to me, I'm dyslexic. So I said, and I'm the first time in there, aren't I? I'm thinking, oh, dear. So I said to him, well, have you got a cellmate? Someone who, he said, he's blind. And I suddenly thought, do you know, and I said, just take it, do what you can, see, you might get a scribe. That was November 2016. May this year, I thought, Chelmsford, I looked down there, that man had sent, filled this in six months later. And I just thought, that's such a blessing. And so, there, and also there was another man in there who, he, he was, he, they, they do this in parts, actually. They do sort of 10 pages and then you mark it. You learn so many ways not to say that's a rubbish answer. You've got to sort of say, have you thought of this or... You know, perhaps you haven't thought this, look at this. Um, but you also have to be so encouraging and sort of say, that was, ex- you know, it was really good. Thank you for that. These are just, a lot of these are just multi-choice. So there's no personality coming out, but there's a couple of questions at the end where you've read what Jesus did, and there might be a question saying, well, if you were in that situation, well, how do you think Jesus was? Do you think you need to be forgiven? And they come out with stuff, and it's it's so moving um, that you just sort of think, "Wow!" And then you you have to, you write something to them, you you know. So there was this man who who did a few of these, and he was obviously a Christian actually, although he was in for sixteen years. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, and then he usually you don't get the same papers back but because it's going into Chelmsford we seem to get them back that way and he 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 wrote me a letter saying I'm sorry I haven't done any more but I've been very unhappy very depressed so I just sort of wrote back so sorry to hear that but you're doing well fine didn't hear any more in July we got inundated with stuff there was a letter from him from May, so it's three months before I get this letter. And he is saying, um, I've moved. I've moved from Chelmsford to this place. I can see the sky and I can see the grass. And he said, I, will you please pray for the prisoners in Chelmsford? It's a Victorian misery. And then he went on to say, I know we should pray for the victims, but they so need our prayers. And this is just, for me, thinking I'm going to do a few ticks in a few boxes. And every day, you know, you get blessings, so much so. They are, there's lots of studies on from this. There's amazing acts and that. But my fear is that they're not getting people aren't going into the prisons to give these out so that the marking can't come back in many ways so please pray um and uh, we've got a great team but it's feast or famine isn't it but um the blessings are enormous so thank you
Ian's been going to prison probably about over 30 years now. And I'd be ever so careful when I say it, because people say, where's Ian? I go in prison. They go, again? <laughs> you know. Um, but it was about probably five years ago, I went to a, a carol service there, <clears throat> and I was talking to one of the prisoners, and he was very lonely and he was very frightened. And I thought, you know what, I could be a visitor. So I went and saw the, the chaplain, but he said, no, I'd like you to actually come and work in with the chaplaincy. And so I used to go in on a Tuesday, and I used to be there to greet them when they'd just come in from, from court, down to the cells and see them in their cells. But this sounds an awful thing to say, I got quite bored, because I'd go up on one wing and I'd say, oh, I've come to see Charlie Brown, they'd go, well, he's on is working somewhere else, and then I'd walk somewhere else, and so I've come to see Fred Smith, and then so is somewhere else, and so. And so I thought, oh, I don't know. And then the chaplain said, to, the senior chaplain said to Ian and I, Ian had been working there as a free church chaplain all this time anyway, would you consider doing living with loss? And I went, no. And he said, well, you haven't even heard it through or prayed about it. And I went, no. And, uh, and when I got home, and said, you know, perhaps we should go along and just see what it's like. I said, all right. And so we went along, and I knew it without any doubt. It's something, one, that I could do, but also I could be with Ian and uh, actually work with Ian. And so we've been doing Living With Loss probably three years? Three years now. So what is Living With Loss? Well, you might think it, we can think of it as a bereavement thing for men that have been bereaved. But it's much more than that, because what have they lost? They've lost their freedom. Often they've lost their jobs. Often they've lost their families. Their children have been put in care. The loss is much bigger than the bereavement. But the bereavements we hear about are horrendous suicides, murders, children, um, uh, hit and run. We had one man in our last group whose um, wife and two children two uh, twins, three months old, were killed in a fire in their house. And three months later, his other child was killed in a road accident. And uh, you, you hear the most horrendous stories. But what they can do there, what they can't do on the wings, is they can be real. And that's what we say. When we have them in the chapel, we say, we, you know, I used to put a box of tissues, now I just stick a toilet roll there. And I watch the other men comfort each other because they can't cry on the wing. You know, they'd be laughed at, booed at. But some of these men, for the first time, will break down and can actually speak and, and say, it's not a Christian thing. Anyone can come, but we always say we are Christians. And Ian always asks at the end, can I pray with you? I've met people there that have really touched my heart. I have to put on my hat where I go in there and I have to leave it. You can't bring it home. But just sometimes there's someone that you're, you're touching. I remember there was a guy called Ollie. It's a very sad case. Terrible upbringing, awful upbringing. On drugs by the time he was 13, got expelled from school, very clever boy. Ended up having a partner, having a baby, and their baby died. His partner became totally, um, I don't know, mentally ill. She ended up going away. He ended up too much drugs and everything else and ended up in prison. But there was something about him that I loved. And the sad thing was I walked through Chelmsford one day and I saw him in the, sh in the shop doorway with a 
duffel bag, uh, what's it, what do you call it, sleeping bag around him. And I went, Ollie. He went, oh, hello, miss. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I've got nothing. And I said, um, <clears throat> you know, if I was allowed, I'd bring you home. He went, oh, I'm not nice. I'm not nice. You wouldn't want to take me home. And I just said, are people kind to you around here? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I, can I do something that I'm not allowed to in prison? Can I give you the biggest hug ever? Ollie, got no one, got nothing. He's 27. If you want to pray for someone, just think of Ollie. Another one where God really, really spoke to me. They come in and they sit, come in. First of all, they want their cup of tea and their biscuits. Yeah, if you go to Tesco's and you want to buy a couple of packets of biscuits, I get for them like no one's biscuit. No, oh, they're so greedy. And then I say, for what biscuit? The first, first week, the first time I ever went, I bought, I thought, I'll take penguins. That's nice, isn't it? Chocolate biscuit. And they went, oh, miss, we get a penguin every day. <laughs> I'm sorry. What do you want? You know those round ones with the icing with the hole in the middle or those yellow, those um, pink... Um, wafer biscuits you know I'm sure they go back to their childhood so we take those sort of biscuits in and we have coffee and that but they'll sit around and talk but this guy walked in and God really really slapped my wrist he came in cocky bit of good sat down every other word was a swear word and what he weren't going to do when he got out and you know like this nonsense. I don't like you I do not like you and we started the meeting and he was still, you know, what he weren't going to do to everyone. And I just thought, oh, I don't like you. But smiling politely, you know. And then Ian just turned over to me and he went, I love that boy. And I thought, what? What are you looking at? And so at the end of the session, Ian said, can I come back to your cell with you? And he said, yeah. Yeah, if you want, mate. So he goes back and Ian was there and Ian went back and he said to him, has your dad ever put his arm around you and told you that he affirms you and what a great son you are. He said, oh, don't be so stupid. He's always called me bleep, bleep, bleep. He said, has your mum ever loved you and said, I'm proud of you, son? Don't be so stupid. She's always bleep, bleep, bleep. And then Ian said, has anyone ever told you that they love you? And he went, no. So I said, well, I've come in here to tell you I love you. He said, and the Jesus I serve loves you. And this boy broke down. I learned a big, big lesson. How dare I sit there when I've not wore his shoes, know nothing about him, and say, I don't like you. How dare I? The following week he came in, he went, here, miss, your old man told me he loves me. And I said, he does as well. And he went, and when I get out of here, I'm going to a church. And my heart really pounded. I thought, oh, Lord, may it be a church that can accept him and not be like me and go, well, we don't like to you in here. The other thing is with living with loss, you're with people that are sometimes very mentally ill as well as criminals and done awful things to themselves. We've got one man come in. He's given his heart to the Lord now, but he was so low, he went into a petrol station and he got the petrol pump and he poured it over himself and set fire to him, himself. This is the sort of people we're with, with people that have got, feel they've got nothing in their life. Fortunately, there were some police there that were able to put it out, but he's quite scarred and quite ill but the big thing for me was <clears throat> I've gonna I've just had a poke in the back from my husband am I right I'm okay you know he's just he kicks me after this he's giving me a little tap 
if that was a poke. <laughs> <laughs> Just two last things. And the, the other thing was, when Ian calls a vulnerable wing, it's the wing um, which is the sex offenders. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. We have to do their group separately. And I thought, I don't know I'm going to be able to do it. And I was reading a little book by Catherine Booth. And she was in her 80s, never had a boyfriend. And there she was, up in London with these men. And someone said to her, how, how can you, how can you be up with all these drunk men and that mauling you? And she went, because I don't look at their body, I look at their soul, because that's what Jesus come to save. And that's how, that helped me. And that's why I can go into a, a wing with sex offenders and speak to them. But I'll quickly just end with this. Because Irene, this is how good God is. The man that Irene spoke about was a man I got very close to and spent some time with. He's got 16 years. He's just got another two years added. So he's got 18 years. Good behaviour will do half. For something he'd done over 25 years ago. He gave his heart to the Lord. And then he sent me a lovely card to say, I'm moving on. I'm not allowed to write to him. And I thought, only if I knew how he was. And then Irene got a letter to be able to say that he's, he's settled in now to a new, new part. But he wrote this. When cell doors slam, God is in prison too. When cell doors slam, God's here in prison too. To comfort sinners, calm the guiltless view. I can't think where I'd be if it were not. Like many here, I'd lose my mind, my plot. Unless you've been chained in when the cell doors slam, you can't expect to know or understand that desperate need for freedom from us all and how esteem respect for self as now to fall. To look into a mirror, call for strength, yet minded that the grief of grace rings out in length and knowing of my faults, but then now to the cross, brings out a clear perspective of my loss. Daily then to dwell, not just for me, but for my Saviour's pain upon a tree, and mindful of the times I've hurt and burned, thank God that in my heart I've changed, I've learned. But then to know the grace that works for me, as Yahweh one day hence has set me free. So as I stand to count on either hand the good and the bad, balanced in my shifting sand. I pray that all my brothers here will find solutions to the social faults which lived and hind, then to their histories and mysteries which, and their failures, this unbecoming plan, as cell doors slam. Sorry I was so long. <laughs> I just want to say what a privilege it is to have such a group of people and that if, if you want to be involved in any way what I can say is God uses weak people to do amazing things that I'd, I'd never ever imagine I'd ever go in a prison in the way of capacity that I am like Adrian said it, by the grace of God I didn't go in by another way and to see the most amazing things happen I've seen nothing to do with me I've seen 25 men stand and dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ and renounce their sin I've seen a drug addict in his cell um, get on his knees and weep before God I've known the glory of God fill a cell of a sex offender 
in a way that I've never experienced anywhere in my life. I remember when we were in India and we got, we were involved, taken to it, they're called jails, not prisons in India. And uh, we were taken to this jail and I thought we were taking a little service for the Christians in the prison. So I reckoned there was going to be half a dozen or ten prisoners in a little room. We had tea with the, uh, with the um, governor of the jail. And then the doors opened and there were 350 men seating, seated on the ground in a courtyard. Every prisoner, men and a few women, mainly Hindus, some Muslims, some Christians, and told to preach the gospel to them. The most amazing, amazing, amazing opportunities. In that prison, there are six men who took their own lives last year. They killed themselves, committed suicide. In prison last year in this country, there were 40,000 incidents of self-harming. Some so grotesque that officers that found them have to take time off of work to recover from what they've seen. Having said that, there's men whose hearts are open and looking for answers. And all my friends here, in whatever capacity, are doing something that lives may be changed. And they are by the grace of God. So thank you for your prayers. And uh, that's the part of the ministry of this church. I thank God. Thank you. Is anyone else? Is anyone else involved in prison ministry? Anne. She marks. And John comes on some Sundays as well. I was due to preach next, but I thought, well, I, I might, we'll see how we go. But I think we, it's prayer and praise. We want to make sure we leave enough time to pray, and then I'll bring a short devotional after. But, but what you're doing is in line with the, the gospel, isn't it? I mean, Paul the Apostle, uh, in some of his letters, which I was going to speak about tonight, but I won't too much now, uh, says Please he's not... Pardon? Please do. Please do? Okay. Well, I'll say a little bit. But he's, he, he describes himself as an apostle. But uh, when he writes to uh, the letter to Titus, it's, it's Paul, a servant of Christ and, a, and an apostle. And so his identity first was a servant. And I think when we look at, I think it's Matthew 25, uh, when Jesus says, uh, or they say, you know, when, when did you feed me? Uh, when did you clothe me? Oh, you got it there? That's good, isn't it? You're not bad, are you? That's good. Um, I've got it down there, but I'm not going to have time to preach it. I'm going to get my notes. Um, but in Matthew 25, he says, you know, when did you feed me? When did you clothe me? Uh, when did you, <laughs> when I was a stranger, when did you invite me in? When I needed clothes, when did you clothe me? When I was sick, when did you look after me? And when I was in prison, uh, you visited. And so I think what you're doing, obviously, is in line with what God's word says. And I think it's right, we now leave, we can leave space now. We're not going to sing first, are we? We'll just leave space. So, um, to remind you, I was making some notes. Uh, but it, I think it'd just be good to pray out, uh, couldn't it? And just while they're here, we can pray for these individually. Uh, I love uh, that you said it's a blessing to you. 
as much as it is to them. And when uh, the Bible tells it's better to give than receive, it's often when those things happen we get so much ourselves. But if I can just remind you, uh, and notes I took, you, I think you said um, uh, you can take nothing with you when you go in, but Ian preached recently about being a people of the presence of God. You take God's presence in with you. And biscuits. But, and biscuits. <laughs> you took the wrong ones, so I wouldn't boast <laughs> about it. <laughs> but you take God's presence, and, and we can pray about that, can't we? Um, uh, Fifty or so come to worship. Two-thirds probably want to, a third out of their cells, but they've still come to worship. Let's pray for those, the third as well as the two-thirds. I thought that was really good. I love it when Adrian said, then it was really good worship. Uh, you know, it's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, uh, what else did I write down? I put down prison officers here. Yeah, I'm going to come to that because I did think about the prison officers and when. Yeah. And when Ian said some of them need counselling when they discover these people mm. have self-harmed. Um, yeah, the um, the in-cell multi-choice Bible studies and the marking and the issues that you've had there. But, but amazing. I mean, I kind of feel like I could lock, lock you all in tonight and you do a couple of questions and multi, multi-choice answers. We'll see how we get on. Don't test the minister, though. Um, <laughs> um, prisoners that have left Chelmsford Prison and then get in contact to say, please pray for them. I mean, that's a prisoner that's left the prison and then asking for prayer for the people he's left behind. Uh, the living with loss uh, course, you know, we, straight away I did think of bereavement. That was the first thing I thought of. But then when you said well, they've lost their freedom, their kids, their jobs, their families, and of course there are suicides and murders and accidents as well. Uh, Ollie, you know, we don't know the stories of people that sleep in shop doorways. Um, you know, 27 years old and thinks he's got nothing. Um, let's pray for him. Uh, and I love what, you know, we haven't been in their shoes. I remember that's, that echoes what I was taught at Spurgeon's. Don't judge anyone until you've walked in their shoes. Uh, we don't know how they are. 40,000 prisoners self-harming. Prison officers that need counselling. So there's a lot to pray for, so maybe we could just open that time up. I didn't feel it right for me to go straight into a sermon. Um, and much of what I was going to say was about being a servant of Christ. Whatever we do is because we're, we're servants, and we do it willingly. Uh, if Christine's leading worship, she's not seen it as a burden, I hope. I'm sure she's not. It's because she chooses to serve Christ. If I preach, I don't see ministry as a burden, even when it's tough. We're servants of Christ. This is a very watered-down sermon. Um, but we're servants, and you're servants going in, and you're taking Christ's presence with you. So uh, if I can just pray for these first, and then I'll open it up uh, for all those various points. And if we miss any, I can, I can wrap it up, I think your term was. Mop it up, uh, mop it up uh, <laughs> at the end. Uh, so let's, uh, let me just pray for these, and then I will open it up to you to pray out loud. Father, I thank you for these people and all the others that are involved in uh, the prison ministry. I thank you the way uh, that it's got started and people have been encouraged to join and how they're blessed in what they do. But I pray for all these individually. Thank you for them. Thank you for their sense of calling this. Uh, It's not for everybody, uh, but these are people you have called to do this. Whatever way they've got involved, it's no accident. I pray your blessing on them. And I pray they'll continue to receive much blessing when they go into prison or marking papers. Um, Lord, I just thank you for them. And thank you that it's so in line with your word, so in line with your character, where you often went to those that uh, society despised 
and had no time for. And yet you left them, you didn't leave them unchanged. Uh, they went forward. And I pray that for these prisoners. I pray for some of the individual circumstances we've heard. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be prompted by your Holy Spirit uh, at the times when these lot really need our prayers, specifically when they're in the prisons, but also the things they hear and they see as well. So pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen.